Hi folks and welcome to another episode of the Leadership Tales podcast. Delighted to be joined by Judy Ditchfield today. Judy is a good friend, colleague, I worked with her and her team from South Africa in a performance role play capacity for a number of years now. But I wanted to share her story or get her to share her story with you because there's a depth of learning and there's a lifelong learner to Judy and she's been involved with TV stage performance role play but she's moved into facilitator role now but she's also been doing that in the environment of South Africa working with the challenges of that in the we'll talk and we'll hear today about the apartheid times where she was in one of the first theater companies that was uh, interracial there's a number of things that just come out of the conversation today but if you listen behind it there's also somebody who comes from a very humble place and has learned to to grow and develop. And I'm I'm grateful for her friendship, but I'm grateful for the work she does for us. But I'm also grateful to be able to to share her story to inspire others about what is possible. So welcome to Judy, and I'm hoping you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Hi, folks, and welcome to another episode of the Leadership Tales podcast. I am delighted. This is not a work day. This is a pleasure day. I've got Judy Ditchfield with me today. Judy is a, a good friend, colleague, lives in South Africa. Uh, we've worked together for a number of years on different projects. She runs a, an amazing business of using actors, performance role play, training, facilitating. Um, she's on a journey, but she's also just got one of those those journeys that I'd love to talk about, particularly when you're you're working with a client and you're walking into a canteen full of employees who recognize her off the TV. And you feel in that moment a bit like the guest of Judy Ditchfield. So on that note, we're just going to go into the background of Judy's story and uh, you'll love it as much as I love it, I'm sure. Judy, welcome. Thanks, Colin. But I don't think I've ever been more famous than you, let me tell you. And it's South Africans' version of famous, which is a minute one compared to everywhere else. <laughs> oh, if we could just talk about our imposter syndromes for the next hour, we'd probably get there. You are. You will. You will. You will. We will. We will. We will. So, Judy, just give people a bit of a background because it's your family, your your husband, your background. It's just amazing. Maybe just give a potted history. I know you could talk for, for ages, and I've read your draft book that you're writing at the moment, which is amazing. Um, but just yeah, tell us a bit about yourself. Yeah. yeah, we come from a crazy family. Colin, you know quite a few of them now, I think, from over the years. Getting to know me, yeah. you've, you've had to be introduced to my family. So we come from quite a theatrical family. Mom's 95, but she started at 16 as a resident pianist for a theatre company. I think it's in our Irish blood because we've got a lot of Irish um, ancestry. And we worked on the last night that there are nine of us, eight of us full-time actors and doing other things in one family, which I think is quite amazing. But my husband's an actor, my son's an actor. The other one should be an actor, but is in business and is sensible. He's a brilliant guy. <laughs> yes, don't they're all brilliant. Oh, they're all wonderful. So we're quite a, um, an out there family. We're quite a brave family. Um, we're still exceptionally close. We love being together. We love our times together and probably a bit insular, if you ask me. Mm, interesting. We'll tap into that later on. So t- take me back, because obviously the 95-year-old mother, who looks amazing for 95, is incredible and she's got a story. So what was your journey? Talk to me about that. 
What did you do? I studied drama and psychology. I loved the psychology by the end more than I loved the drama. But I was too busy dancing around that I didn't get enough marks to go into psychology. <laughs> but I'm grateful. I'm grateful because I got into a theatre company, which was in those years when I was still young and fit, a physical theatre company. And it was, interestingly enough, one of the first multiracial companies in this country. Now, as you know, I'm from South Africa with the whole apartheid history. So those uh, multiracial companies were, there weren't many around. And it was officially the first multiracial company in the country. Small, 13 of us, and we had a wonderful time. So I did that three freelance for a few years, moved up to Joburg when I met Paul, my husband, who I've been married to for, what, 1988? That's a long wow. time. He's much... Yeah. Yeah. A long time to be married to Paul, or is it just a long time to be married? I don't, both, I'm only both, both, both. <laughs> <laughs> He's had to put up with me for all those years. So, yeah, and um, so carried on acting. And then, funnily enough, it was you that started me on my journey into something new. And mm. many, many years after I'd started acting... I got a request to come and role play, and I did not know what that was. You can imagine the connotations that you think of when you first hear coming to role play. And then I discovered it was business simulation, and I came in, I think you were still with Hunter Roberts then. Roberts, yeah. Yeah, yeah there's a blast yeah. from the past. Yeah, There it is. Mm. And you guys trained up the team here, and mm. I came in and went off all over Africa. Mm. And that was my sort of startup in business simulation, which I still love very much. Mm. And it's a journey for, for you because the acting, and I'm interested to go back. So was this in apartheid times or after apartheid when you went into the, the, the first multiracial? No, very much in. So when I was at school, and I know it's really hard to imagine, and even me thinking back on it, it's hard mm. to even work out how it existed. But when I went to school, it was all white schools, and there were schools for Indian children, there were um, schools for African children, which was completely segregated. And mm -hmm. I threw, I think there were one or two Catholic schools in the country that had mixed diverse groups. But other than that, it was purely white based for my mm. schooling and then we went into university but I'm talking about in an entire university there maybe were a handful of African people mm. at the university because they even that was separate mm. so big changes came in our time we were still watched a lot by the apartheid government so mm. if you got involved in, poli in political activities or even just I was part of the students representative council at Varsity and even just being part of that, we were watched because that yeah. was seen to be political. So right through university, it was very much segregated. When I started in the theatre company, that was still frowned upon. You know, people mm. were still being prosecuted for marrying someone of a different race. It was that bad, you know, and mm. as we all know. And then slowly but surely it started to change to the South Africa we've got today, which is still in the throes of shifting in terms of diversity. We like to think it's okay. It's still not. It's still not a balanced yeah. environment, yeah. Yeah, and you're not alone with that with the rest of the world now. I mean, you went through some 
really horrible times. But actually, you look at what's going on in the rest of the world, and actually, that's our new project this year is to go off and you know try increase equity in society. But it's just you know right across from its skin color right the way through to neurodiversity. So even if you're talking about skin color and then you talk about two people of the same skin color, you're still talking about two very different people, different backgrounds. It's yeah, it's massive. But but I'm interested in the theater because one of the, the rich things that I love going in and working with your team down there is the richness of those different backgrounds and cultures. So when you're in that first multiracial, how did how did it shift your mindset going into that? Because that must have been different for you to, to work in that space. It was different, Colin, but I think, I don't know. You know, I think my, my mother's generation were so ingrained in it. I don't know because whether, whether it was because we were in our 20s, we were young, we were mm. just being brave, that in a way, very quickly, we became a unified front. However, we weren't very equitable in terms of how we lived. The people in the company, we had to drive miles to take them home. They were live, lived on the outskirts of town, mm. where we, we lived within the town environment. That eventually changed. But I must say, I've always just seen people for people. So yeah. for me in a way, and I, I, I remember speaking very many years later to one of the actors in the company with me, wonderful filmmaker called Madoda Tayana. And Madoda said to me, you know, you didn't realize what you were like in those days. And I said, what does that mean? He said, you used to walk down the street holding my hand. But he said, you were unaware of the reactions around you. He said, we used to get looks of hatred, mm. people looking at disgust in us, but you never seemed to realize it, which is probably quite insensitive of me, of me at the time, but he was my friend. Yeah. Uh, so, so I wasn't looking for that, whereas as an African man in this country who had been so marginalized, for him, it was a serious threat to him, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and I think the acting industry in this country, that has been one area, and it's not totally equitable. There's no question about it. We still have a long way to go in this country in so many ways. But it's been the one area in the country where we have mixed naturally. Mm. You know, it, it's we just work together. We don't see it as mm. different, which it's not, of course, but in this country, it was so. Yeah. And I think that's sometimes, the, isn't it, the, the history? You know, you look at what's gone on and, uh, you know, guess who's coming to dinner and you look at Sidney Poitier who's passed away. You look at the legacy of of that. What a great movie. What a great actor. But there is almost the music and the theatre. And, and I want to take this into the, the immersion, into the role play, because you made a comment before, which was you naturally fitted into it. But I also wanted to link it to your comment about I only see the human. Because there is something about take everything away, the one-on-one -on -one human dimension that we've got when we're in the acting space is massive, yeah. And that, that we don't see anything else. We don't see the auditor. We don't see the finance person. It's that human being and the connection they're making with us. And the dance that we do in that immersion is massive. But how, how did it feel coming in to be an actor? Because you write in the book about you know, learning about business and suddenly having to, to, to be these characters. And I remember our first few times together where you were you were still learning, but that must have been a big leap. I think it's less of a leap now for people, but it must have been a big leap in those days to, to come in. Massive for me. So 
I don't think I'm a stupid person. However, I I was ignorant in terms of the business environment. I hadn't done a lot with it. And in South Africa, and now it's a bit different, but when we were growing up as actors, business wasn't there. You just knew you were probably going to be unemployed at some point or other, so that was as far as you thought. Yeah. Our sort of experience was business was limited. My father was always in business. He was in the bank, so Standard Bank, for 42 years. So I'd had an experience of that, but I didn't have a knowledge of it. So talk about imposter syndrome. Here I'm being pushed into an environment where I'm suddenly hearing about things that I've never heard of. Mm literally never heard of when you talk about kpis that to me was foreign i didn't know what a kpi is i didn't know what a, a stakeholder was so it was that terror i knew i could engage with the person in front of me i knew as an actor everyone thinks we're all about acting but it's really about reacting so I knew that I was in touch with the person in front of me. That's why I never wanted to do um, theatre on my own. I never wanted to do a solo show because I love working with what's in front of me. That's what that's what drives me and makes me excited. But I didn't know and I thought I was going to be caught out for not having enough knowledge. But you guys were so brilliant. You gave us so much information. Too much information, probably. <laughs> yes. Yeah. A file. <laughs> yes, it took me weeks. But yeah. with that said, I still, if I look back now, I think, boy, what did I know about business? But you, you absorb. Actors are like sponges. So, mm. so we want to learn. So yeah, yeah. I learned, and I'm still learning. I think when I'm 90, I'll still be learning. So that's the excitement of it, I think. No, I agree. And I, I do think what's it's interesting because the imposter syndrome comes across, even for me, and I talk a lot about this, which is have I led a big organization like HSBC? Can I coach somebody senior in those those places? But somebody who uh, in a tech company once said, said you've got to realize we have technical expertise, but you understand the human being and you know how to talk to them and you know how to engage. We struggle with that and that's where we need you to help. And I think the acting side, that's exactly where the moment where you're in that one-on-one with somebody and for the first time, they're firstly in a safe space to work with. They've got that that interaction, but but I, what I loved is what you were describing there. Is we used to call it the pinch and the ouch. Yes, the participant is coming in and they are giving the actor a pinch, and whatever that pinch is, they get a proportionate ouch back from the actor and a reaction. But that's a real skill, and and in some cases, people always think actors, musical, the lovey, as we would call it in the UK. But you actually had to get back to being the human being, Absolutely. playing a role. Yeah, so. Just going into that for a second, because you have your own company, you work with South African businesses, you work with African businesses. So what's your experience at the moment um, with everything going on about how that's working and how you're, you're, you're working now in the market with COVID and everything? What's your, been your experience? Yeah, it, look, it, it set us all back. And I think it took us such a long time to get buy-in for role play. So what we found over the years in, in South Africa, when you guys came in from Britain, you almost had extra weight to it, and people bought it more than when we tried it. Thanks for that. Uh, what are we talking about, extra weight? Yeah, you know my sensitivity, <laughs> my weight. 
<laughs> don't even go there, Colin. Don't even go. No. <laughs> Very sensitive myself. So, um, so, so when COVID happens, once again, they go, mm. oh, no, no, no. We had just managed to sell them on the idea that it is so valuable. But what they loved about it was the face-to-face, the, the connecting with the person sitting in front of you. And in South Africa, we do it slightly differently most of the time, Colin. So when you guys come in, you facilitate the role play. So we come in, we give them the experience and the immersion, we give them the the arch and the pinch and all that stuff, and we give them the the feedback um, that you require. However, in South Africa, we run the sessions ourselves. So we give them feedback all the time. Mm. And so they get immediate feedback from us. So when COVID happened, they literally shut it down and are now starting to open up again. But I must tell you that, as we know, and why we struggled for so long to get it going in this country, is we know the impact of business simulation in the training room. We know how powerful it is. And the feedback we get generally from it, and I'm not saying this because it's our company, I would say worldwide, it's probably the same thing. It's in the role play where everything integrates and where people can really feel shifts. And that's what makes us do what we do. Mm. Because it's one thing to, and I as a facilitator now too, I can teach you what to do. I can work with you. I can give you an immersive experience. But only when you experience the shift yourself Mm. do you really start changing the behavior. And I love because people visually won't be able to see that. But the way you went to your gut there is, you know, the, the feeling of the gut is is so important in that room. And it's we always talk about the fact that, as you say, it's so powerful, but it, it might not be the first role play. It might be the third role play. It might be when we were running those workshops with, you know, the, the large organizations of four or five days. It might be on the fourth day that they suddenly just get that aha moment and suddenly go, oh, you know, excuse my language, mother, but this is this is what I need to change. Yeah, yeah it's, it's amazing. So how do you train people to do that? Because that's what you've been very good at. When I work with your team, I, there's always such a high standard. You know? Now you've got the owners of the business, but they are such a high So how do you do that? I think I was trained by a person called Colin Hunter, who you can't come in at least then because you get nailed to the ground. So <laughs> that was my first first experience of it. I am a taskmaster. I I am tough on my team. I think we can never not deliver. We can never not deliver. Mm. And yeah, we go wrong sometimes. Yes, we don't get it perfectly every time. However, we are giving it 200%. So I require everyone in the team, and I'm just one of um, three owners of the company, we expect them to deliver. And if somebody's not delivering, I'm like you, I will give immediate feedback and say this is not okay. But also because we're very, very particular about who we choose. And I know you are like that too. Mm. And I know over the years, if you don't think I'm right for something, you'll straight out tell me. And that's the same with us. So we... When we've had our workshop, which you've run some of of them anyway for us, but when we've done that, we've all been very specific about the people we've chosen to come on it, but also if we don't believe somebody's right for it, we haven't kept them going. 
because it's no point. We want the best people to do it because it's all of our clients. That's everything to us. I don't know if that answered your question. It does answer the question. And it comes to something in here about uh, standards of running a business. Yeah. And you running a business because there's some learning for you over the, the last two, three, four years about running the business versus being and and you and I are very similar we love the work so we love being in the room we love doing the acting the facilitating and you know um when I'm in there I'm I'm probably at my happiest working with clients and then there's the running of the business which seems a bit of an irritation in the background but it's something that you are incredibly good at but that's a journey you've been on isn't it oh Colin has it been a journey so thanks for saying that I um it's a tough thing to do and over the years, because we are the three of us that started the company, by the way, we now talk about equity with the BEE coming into South Africa. We now, we've got shareholders in, in the company as well. But the three of us that run it, we all are active. We need to give them a shout out or they might, you know, they might, particularly Charles, you just need to say, hey, Siri, and you'll probably get Charlie. Do you still get Charles' voice? Yes, we still, Apple, Apple. Um, Apple, Siri gets it, Apple, a lot of our banks, they don't even know. And when we cross with the banks, we say, do you know one of our directors is your voice? We do do that occasionally. It's quite embarrassing. It's interesting. As I did that, guess what came on? I won't say it again. So I I didn't hear the last 30 seconds of it. It's so... Charlotte Butler and Jocelyn Broderick are the three. We started the company many years ago, and Charlotte was one of the first three role players in this country. So she started even before me. She sort of coached me into it. And then we've got four amazing um, shareholders. We've got Phyllis and Glover, who's a clinical psychologist and an amazing facilitator that I work with quite extensively. We've got Don Mosenye, who's a, one of our business role players. Ilsa Klink, you've met both of them. And Bonnie Holland, who's a specialist in um, contracts and stuff, and she works in the acting side of it. So we've got a great team that we work with. But and the three of us, you must know, Jossie, Charlotte, and me, we're actors. Mm. We had to learn on the fly. And it's been tough, Colin, I have to say. Mm. As, as You are brilliant at it, and you, you're less of a people pleaser. You once told me I was a people pleaser, and I was so upset with you. I was so grumpy. But I'm not <laughs> I'm not a people pleaser, and I only realized much later I'm seriously a people pleaser, which I've worked on a lot. But in our trying to please everybody, I don't think we were as great in the company because we had to learn to say, not going to work. And this is not personal. It's just not going to work. So we're still learning. The company's grown enormously. We've got 34, 42 actors that work with us, and we've got some really, really good clients um, over the years, 90% word of mouth, but now I've tried sales. Colin, oh, my heavens, sales. <laughs> oh, my heavens. But I've just got a really, really big new client, so I'm really excited about uh, that. Worked for a year. Yeah, and I think there's there's an interesting thing, because the different people who are going to be listening to this, some are going to be you know potential actors who want to think, so how do I get in and do what you do? And there's a lot of people who do that, and there's some really good lessons. But there's also other people who run businesses who know, and we're part of an organization that we go to every year in Scottsdale, Arizona, and you've got some of the really, really top uh, organizations, which is where I get imposter syndrome when I'm sitting down next to Ken Blanchard or other people and going, whoa, 
yeah, okay. Yeah, what's what's my story here? Can I make something up just to make me sound better? But the principle in there that we get every year is the key issues that the organizations have in this space is sales, marketing, branding, yeah, and also people because no matter how much we, we go out and say we're people businesses and we train other people to do people businesses, there's a difference between training people and doing it yourself. And that, that's a tough one. Yeah. So sales, kudos to you. I think, uh, I think there's, there's great learnings from that that we could do a whole podcast on about how you've done that and how you've kept the relationships with key clients as well. Yeah, I think critical to me always is build good relationships with our clients I, I think we've got to learn to say no a bit more because we also you know if, if you're starting your own business you wanted to work so badly that you work extremely hard I was working 16 hours a day to the point that I, I eventually wasn't well I got ill for quite a couple of months and I know it was burnout because I couldn't say no so that's been a lesson for me as well how do you manage clients expectations but also, I always say you teach people how to treat you. It's not my thought, but it's everybody's thought. But how do you then start shifting the par- parameters to still deliver, but also be clear on expectations? So that's been a lesson for us to learn, which we're still learning. Mm. And you've done some amazing things over the, the COVID period, because it's been tough for all actors, all business role player. Uh, companies and I've had a passion over that time to say, look, what can we do to to, to grow the amount of income that actors can earn? Because it, it is a feast or a famine for a, a lot of what you do. But you did something beautifully in there, which is you started to do some mental health work as well, crafting on. Do you want to say a bit about that? Yeah. No, you know, Colin, I'm a bit of a social media junkie. Charlotte, I don't think ever goes onto social media. I, I'm a bit of a junkie, so it's, I I find the the medium powerful. And what I observed over the months of COVID, and you know, we literally lost a year's work overnight, like many many companies around the world. But what I started observing was a level of anxiety around business, around working, around, and and not just from actors or not just from people who didn't have jobs, but from people within the organizations who are now having to do things so differently that there were high levels of anxiety starting to happen. So I I read, I can't give you who said it, you're very good at that, but women are doing 15% more work Mm. than men during COVID because there's also a lot of more of the mothering, and and now I'm being a bit sexist saying that, but I saw women getting highly anxious. I saw people saying, I'm not a teacher. How am I teaching here? I don't know how to teach my kids. Having children running in, we all know I quite like it, but having kids running in behind in a meeting or husbands never seeing their wives because now we're suddenly working longer hours. So I went to the girls and I said to them, I think there's a problem here. I think we're going to have a crisis on our hands. If we don't stop looking at mental health, I think we're going to be in trouble. And we started creating these videos around issues that people were dealing with. So, for example, a mother who's working from home but also being a parent um, and wife and a worker um, looking at people in financial difficulties because, I don't know, worldwide it's happened, but South Africa... The poverty um, gap has always been large 
it is now astronomical. People are literally in trouble. So that was a massive thing. We've got a thing in this country called black tax. They talk about black tax where a member of a family suddenly is responsible not just for their immediate family, but now is looking after extended families. So sisters, brothers, mothers, parents, and maybe on the sometimes minuscule salary are now trying to provide and being expected to provide because maybe it's the only person with a degree, maybe it's an only person in a permanent job to provide for families. So we created these as conversation points because I know psychological safety is coming in more and more and I'm so excited about it because I think one of the biggest issues is we are not talking about stuff Hmm. enough. We talk in business on a level that's safe not to go there. But I think we need to start talking about other stuff. And we worked with an amazing woman called Inna Rothman, who did some testing on companies and found out that the levels of stress in South Africa, and, and she's also been working worldwide now, she did an app where they could test levels of anxiety and we were in crisis, and she kept on saying there is going to be what she calls pre-traumatic stress mm-hmm. syndrome. It's not a, a psychological thing yet, but it's not been um, registered as that. But they're calling it pre-traumatic stress. And what pre-traumatic stress starts doing to people is it's it's pre obviously pre-post-traumatic stress. But when people are in pre-traumatic stress and high levels are happening now, they start making mistakes they start taking chances, do things that they would normally not do purely because they're under so much stress. For example, insurance companies started seeing an increase in claims because people were having more accidents. Even though there was hardly anyone on the roads, there were more accidents. So so that work became very interesting to us. And then recently we've just done a, a video for Mental Health Island. Uh, not not for the company mental health, but a company that's working with mental health in Ireland. Nice. And so I, what I love about what you've done there, um, because one is it, it's giving it, paying it forward. So one that you were doing and you, you were working in there. And I, that, there's something about me, when I look at the hospitality industry over the COVID period, I look at the acting community and what everybody's done from those sectors to help others, even when they're probably the hardest, some of the hardest hit areas, says something about the type of people that are in there. And I, I, I love that. But the second thing for me is that when we get into the concepts like social theater, which I'm learning more about, um, now I'm learning that the terms are the, the, the theater of the oppressed um, is part of it, or the theater of the oppressor that's coming in there. So there's two angles to it. But firstly, it's helping people to understand that it's okay that they feel stressed and under pressure when they're in that, those circumstances. And for me, what's opened up is my my privilege of living in the UK versus somebody in India who lives in her car overnight and then comes in the office looking amazing. But when I was looking for to get to a hotel, she cleared out the back of the car where she sleeps and took me to the hotel and then went back to sleep in her car overnight and then came in looking, um, you know, immaculate the next day. So, it's when you understand what's going on in those lives that you start to realize that, firstly, it's a different world. But secondly, from their understanding, it's okay to feel like that because 
amazing what you're going through and how you're struggling with this. So the oppressed and the oppressor. But but that's the power of theatre, isn't it? That's the power of acting. Yeah, I think it's always been so powerful, Colin. I think it's always been a voice where people wouldn't normally talk about it. Acting has given it a voice. And I, I think theatre and even film, television, and you're right, you know, you were saying that it was probably the most hit um, area. South Africa was particularly hard hit, the acting industry, and theatres are only starting to open now after two years. So I, I literally had people asking me for food parcels in the acting industry because they couldn't eat. And there was very little subsidy from the government around um, actors. But I do think it's also what was important about the work that we were doing, going back to those videos, was for people to realize that other people were experiencing the same anxiety, but maybe in very different environments. Probably one of the most moving things I've ever seen in my life. And this is hard for other people to understand, but you being in India, I think you would have picked it up too, mm. is I was doing a TV series watched in South Africa by about 4.6 million a day, which was quite big here in South Africa. We've only got 16-something million people. And every day I had to drive through town to go to the TV series past the banking centre, all the big banks, some of the banks you've worked with. And one day I watched a lady get out of a box. It was a wooden box on the side of the road, and she got out of the box meticulously attired mm. and walked up the road to the bank. It broke my heart because I thought, I'll tell you now, 90% of the people who work with her don't know. It was so moving. And I, I, I think for me, this is, you know, the more that global business happens, the more that leaders listening to this around the world, sitting in the US, and I think some of the, the US, there's the immigration comes in, you've got more people who understand where they've come from. But the increasing thing is that we almost become immune to some of this. We, we don't see it. And I love, you know, probably going to massacre this word, but so bonne, I see you seen and heard yeah and i there is something that you know even with a, a charity called the ceo um sleep out here to get people to to experience what it is like to be cold so theater has a part to play but it, going forward where where are you going with your theater with your company where are you taking it where are we taking it in terms of theater i, I think our company is now more towards the business side of it mm. but we will always be looking for where the gaps are so at the moment we're still sort of behind uh, and africa is sort of still behind in terms of the role play side of it so we're still pushing that a lot we still believe it's got major legs, especially throughout Africa. We love working in Africa, throughout Africa. Um, so we're going to still work hard on that. If I talk personally now, what Judy loves doing is I sort of see myself now as a conversation starter. So a lot of the work that I'm doing personally, and it's hard to believe because I talk too much, no, don't smile at me, Colin. Stop it, that's so ugly. But because um, I think what I've really learned to do is to give people the space to open up and to feel safe enough to do it. And I think that brings meaning, meaningful change. And it's going back to what you said. In the work that I'm doing with teams, 
I'm starting to see how people within a team that know each other because they work together every day actually know so little about each other. And in the conversations we have in those sessions that I'm doing with them, we're starting to see the people underneath it all. And to me, if we can put people at the center again, which I think COVID has brought about, and I think I'm so grateful for that, we've got to put people back into business and we've got to give people voices to be more authentic, to be more vulnerable. And it's not been popular to be vulnerable. No, no. It's not been safe to be vulnerable. That's where I would like to take us, that we start having more conversations and put people at the center of business again. I love that. I heard a term the other day, an organization called the Human Library, um, where you can reach out and talk to a human being who will be able to tell you about what they've gone through what their experience is. So rather than reading a book or Wikipedia or anything else, you're talking live to somebody who can tell you the the acting you're doing is is so powerful is it starting those conversations. It's but also some people's idea of what is powerful in their conversation, it's just when they tell the story and you go, Wow, what about that bit? And they go, that bit, that's nothing. No, no, that is something. That is something because that's what I go through, you know, and tell me more about how that became nothing to you. Tell me. And and I love that concept in there. So I want to go back to the human for you, Judy, because if you want to go to the two or three things that have defined you, and I was reading in the book about Cairo and that trip, and that was a, a massive thing for you. Tell us why it was such a big thing for you. Okay, so so that was that first experience I had with role play. So I, by 40, um, when I turned 40, and I'm very happy to say my age, I'm not one of those prissy people that can't say their age out loud, but when I was turning 40, I'd never been overseas. I'd never been outside South Africa. So I got in to do role play for your company, and my first trip was to Kenya, and that was very exciting, but I was with people, so I felt safe. And then the next one I got was a trip to Cairo. Now, Cairo seems a long way away. And in a funny way, we almost don't think of it as part of Africa because it feels too north for us. But anyway, so just before I was leaving, I got a phone call from one of the role players to say, Jude, listen, you're going to have to go on your own because I have to go a day earlier. So hell anxiety jumped in. I think I've got to travel somewhere like this on my own. Anyway, because I was really not a seasoned traveler. I think I've done a bit more now. But I get onto the plane, terrified, late, and I know I'm going to arrive late at night in Cairo. So I'm on the plane, they give you that little thing, which most people who travel know that little thing to fill out what you're coming to do, where you're going, where you're staying, all that stuff, which is fine now. But at the time, so I'm now, do I want to say the wrong thing? It's Arabic on the one and English on the other, and I fill it in, and that's my security. I've got it. Get off the plane. I was still Judy Broderick there. And as I get off the plane, there's somebody, very tall man, with a, a little sign saying Judy Broderick. And I think, oh, thank heavens, somebody's there for me. Get to him, say hi. And he goes, hello. <laughs> Okay, so this might not be a long conversation, and I think, okay. So I start running with my case um, behind him, and he says, give it to me, give it to me. Give, um, what do I give to you? So, oh, maybe it's this little form. So I hand him the form, and he looks at it, and he goes, no, 
this is wrong. And he tears it up. No. Now, I'm in <laughs> Cairo at 11 o'clock at night, and he's torn up my phone. Yeah. And he grabs another one off the customs thing. Am I taking too long with the story, Colin? No, God, no. I love this story. And because, because I've been there myself. And I, it, it is that moment where, and these people are paid to get you through immigration, so they want to rush you, but they don't stand in ceremony, do they? Yeah, no. No, 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 not even a vague smile from him. Anyway, so now he's torn it up, he grabs another form off the custom booth, and he starts writing in Arabic. So in my head, it's quite embarrassing to say this, Colin, thanks for making me say it aloud, I think... He's written Judy Broderick, occupation. He could have said sex worker, prostitute. <laughs> he could have said female slave. I, I, I don't know what he's written. I am petrified. I'm trying to remember role play in this, but that's gone out the window. And anyway, he gets me through, and I think, oh, well, he thank heavens I'm through that. And then he walks out the front door, and he looks at a taxi. Now, I think he's going to take me to the hotel. Mm. No, 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 no. He looks at a random taxi and says, yeah. <laughs> and I hear him say, Niall Hyatt. Yeah. So I think, okay, that's my hotel. Yeah. Okay, that's good. That's good. Puts the case in the boot. We get into the car. We drive out the airport. And as we get out the airport, there's a police blockade. Now, I come from South Africa. Yeah. I'm used to that, but not in Cairo. And they <laughs> literally... Are guns looking in the car, looking in the back, open the back, open my case. I'm now thinking, I, I definitely am going to be a sex slave. I'm telling you now, it's, it's, it's not what I think is happening yet. Then they drive like they drive in Cairo. Have you ever driven in Cairo? Yeah. They don't slow down. They hoot and cars get out the way. They don't slow down. So... For 45 minutes to, to the hotel, I thought I was going to die. Anyway, long story short, I got to Cairo and I did some amazing work mm. in role play. And it taught me it's okay. I have to be a bit braver. And I am so grateful for the experience, but I must say it was terrifying. What I love about that, and I want to, to end on this, because for people who don't know you, there's a real courage in what you do and the, the rest of the team. There's a real courage to take on, in a difficult environment, to take on the role of growing a business, taking on acting, taking on the business world, taking on facilitation. And for those who are listening, who are actors, who do business role play plus facilitation in the room, that's a tough gig. You're playing two characters. But I think that you all have had your hurdles, like us, that you go through. And being a woman in Cairo late at night, all of those things, in some ways it, it adds to the value and the person that is Judy when you come to your work. Yeah, Colin, I think every single thing that's happened in my life, and I've had a fairly easy life, as I say, I've got a very close family, I've had one or two hard experiences in my life, but everything that I do I'm grateful for, and I know that sounds very cliched, but I am hugely grateful for I think I've learned amazing lessons. I can say thank you to you because I know you don't officially, you're not mm -hmm. officially my mentor, but I've always looked to you to guide me. And I think you've been tough on me. And I've been grateful for that too. And sometimes I haven't liked you much. You've been that tough on me. <laughs> it's a common theme. Yeah. <laughs> 
but I'm so grateful for the lessons. And sometimes when you say, I don't think that's right for you, I usually listen to you, but sometimes I think, no, I think you're wrong. I'm going to get it done. I'm going to do it. I will do it. And I think that's what I've learned over the years. I don't love change, but I've been pushed into it so much that I now, even if I know it's coming and I don't want it, I'm going to go there and I'm going to be brave. And I think if anybody's starting businesses, if anyone wants to get into different avenues now, be brave and then be authentic in it because that to me, is everything. I think, you know, Brenny Brown is a person I've come to recently and she talks about the arena and it's one of my favorite expressions, which is, you know, come into the arena. If, if you want to work with me, come into the arena, but don't fire shots from the outside. Come into work with me and uh, and start to be there and, 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 and do the tough things. And I think to summarize your career, you've done the tough things. You say you've had an easy upbringing. What you do is amazing and the team do is amazing. So thank you, Judy Ditchfield, for being here. Uh, Love to all the family and everybody else. But um, where can people find out about you, the company, if they're listening, they want to find out a bit more about you? Yeah. Thanks, Colin. Um, And and really, thanks for inviting me. I did have that imposter syndrome of thinking, why does he want to talk to me? But I'm very grateful you did. So (laughs) I have to end off with that. But www.roleplay.co.za. So that's our company, Performance Roleplay Training. You can find us there. You can find out a bit about what we do. We do lots of things, but you can find us there. And we've got a great team. We'd always love to engage with you, even just to chat and find out what you do. We always learn from people and we love conversations. So thank you, Colin. Pleasure. We talk about amplifying the human and you definitely do that in your life. So that is brilliant. Thank you, Judy Ditchfield. Take care, Colin. I love that conversation just to hear the the growth, the development of, of Judy's character, her business, um, the way, the nature of the work she does. And I'm a big believer that the role of the actor and the actor facilitator, as we grow into the the moments where we need to increase development, particularly in a virtual world, but face-to-face as well, will be critical. The immersion of the actors really is a powerful route and a method to get people to, to shift behaviours and looking Uh, forward to thinking with a different mindset so delighted she could tell her story Uh, i look forward to welcoming back another episode of the leadership tales podcast soon Mm -hmm.